Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Something that we are terrible at reminding all of you of, but we're going to remind you of this now. Premier Coaching members, listen, you have to be going on our private Facebook page for you every single day because there are uh, referral referrals that are going back and forth to agents all the time. Julie was just on the uh, page prior to today's uh, podcast, and how many pot, how many referrals are sitting there? Four, basically, are waiting yeah. for agents to say, yes, I'll take it. Absolutely. And we, So we have coaching clients. We have coaching clients too, all over the you know? United States. Yeah, all over the United States, Canada, and other countries as well. But a majority of the folks are obviously in the U.S. Agents, do not be lazy. Hit that Facebook page. These are no Mickey Mouse referrals. These are agent-to-agent referrals, the, t- the best kind, because you usually don't have to pay any more than a 20 or 25% referral fee. Julie and I do not. Our company does not get in the middle of these referral fees uh, and these referrals, so make sure you're taking advantage of that. Uh, I also want to acknowledge all of you. I've been getting a lot of fun emails over the past three days from those of you who are staying drilled down and starting to send in your pictures and making comments mostly on how your uh, fellow agents are MIA. <laughs> you know, how I had one uh, earlier this morning where the person said normally 60 people show up at their uh, office meeting, and there was the same office meeting today, and there was 11 people. It's like, where do the agents go? I have no idea. That's But listen, those of you who are new in the business, which is most of you, um, that's normal behavior. Agents just disappear this time of year. And that's just terrible because what they're going to do is not just only give their sellers bad advice about, oh, you you know don't want to have your house for sale this time of year because whatever, whatever. Though for the most part, statistically, if we're being factual, houses do take longer to sell. And if you have a seller that is extremely motivated, the worst advice you can give them is hold the house off the market till the spring because they have a financial thing that's pressing them that's wanting to make it uh, so they have the house for sale now. So don't put your values of not wanting to work in November and December on your seller agents. With that said, I had a great call with Lena Jacobs this morning, um, Kansas City, and she took 10 listings in the past week. 10. How? How did she do it? Well, she picked up the phone, and she was calling expired. She was calling for sale by owners. She was calling her centers of influence and past clients, and then she had people calling her too, and 10 listings as a result of that. And she said she has virtually no competition when she's calling these bizbos and expired. None. She calls them. Nobody else is calling them. (laughs) How about that? So when we tell you this is the best time of year to be working, we are not kidding because your competition has gone to sleep, and so – how many of you listening to us right now on, what is today, Julie, the 9th of October, are actually yep. not planning on doing any more work or you're at least, you haven't said it out loud, but in essence, the things you're doing, which aren't going to lead directly to a paycheck, it, essentially you're working on passive lead generation things or your branding or your website. How many of you are rationalizing that, assuming that the market's going to come back to you in the spring? I'm telling you right now, you are making the biggest, you're committing the biggest real estate sin if you're serious about making money. And here's why. In the spring, every year, that's called the spring, January through April, 
there is there are always an enormous number of new agents to get into the business, not to mention all the agents had licenses getting back into the business. So the noise that's out there that you have to compete with, by noise I mean um, you know, agents just you know, knocking on doors, making phone calls, just running into people, all the, the agent activity is the worst, the most aggressive, the most competition in the spring. Every agent who is listening right now, Listen to what I'm telling you. Your new year, 2019, has already started. And if you're not working now, not just making your list and cleaning your office and, you know, uh, all that Mickey Mouse stuff. If you're not literally in front of sellers today, tomorrow, the next day, if you're not doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level, you're going to roll into next year with no momentum. Now, if you get somebody who doesn't have to sell now, they're not that urgent, post-date the listing contract. You could do that. It's perfectly legal. Brokers, stop telling your agents it's not legal. It's legal. Have the contract start in January. No problem whatsoever or whenever. Okay? Build your inventory up as fast as possible because then what happens? Think about this, guys. Focus. Most agents in the spring, and let's call the spring February, January, you know, January, February, March, somewhere in there, most agents will tell the sellers, to put their houses for sale, like, let's say, March, April, okay? The spring, quote-unquote. That's what the normal activity is, historically speaking. But if you have your listings for sale in late January, early February, and listen, I know what that means. Julie and I used to live in Ohio. We sold real estate in Ohio. We sold thousands of homes in Ohio. And I know that time of year, the weather can be really nasty. But here's what happens. Because there aren't a lot of houses for sale in the early parts of the year, your listings will sell, and when they go from for sale to sold, the sellers, here's the key, listen to what I'm telling you, the sellers who were going to put their houses for sale in the early to late spring, early summer season will see that you sold that listing in their neighborhood, and you'll get at least a shot at getting their listing. They'll call you to interview you to give you a shot at earning the listing. Yes, strangers will call you because they saw you were successful at selling the house in their, in their market. Now, you do have to make sure that when you put a sign in the yard, remember what your coach is telling you or maybe we're your future coaches. Don't put it in the MLS right away. Delay by a week, and all the first calls you're going to get are going to be from neighbors who are price checking. Neighbors who are price checking only price check if they're thinking about putting their house for sale. So when you call them back, I want you to use our script. The second or third question is, by the way, Mr. Mr. You know, they'll, they'll present as buyers. They're going to call and say, hey, what's that house listed for? What's the price on that? Remember, it's not in the MLS, so it's not on Zillow or Realtor.com, so they can't find it. So they're going to call you directly asking what the price is, and you're going to, you'll get the call and you'll say, this is basically just of the script. That's a terrific house. Everyone's calling on that. By the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling? And what you'll find is on average, when you do exactly what I just said, it doesn't matter what time of year, but you're going to find 50% of the uh, people calling, presenting as buyers. In other words, you thought they were a buyer. They're actually sellers. People that are looking for the price because they're thinking about putting their houses for sale. Now, how does all this work? So you are actively in the market when other agents – you have momentum when other agents are trying to build momentum. You're getting calls from sellers. You're going on listing appointments. You're replacing the listings. You know, you already have a huge surge of activity in the early parts of next year because 
you worked this part of the year. Does that make sense, guys? Are you listening? Does this, are you focused in, as to what I'm telling you? That's the reason it's critical that you don't be lazy in November and December and October. When you drill down now, every single one of you should have a goal of having at least 10 listings. I don't care how long you've been in the business. Some of you, that's no problem. Others of you, it's like, you know, you cannot ever imagine it because you've only worked with buyers. Expand your thinking, guys. That's what Premier Coaching is all about. We will help you to become listing agents because that's where the freedom is on this business. They're, the listings give you leverage. The leverage gives you freedom. That's when you have a real business because you have other people selling your listings for you while you're on vacation or you're enjoying your family at Thanksgiving or Christmas. You're not having to shuffle around buyers because you have other agents who are trying to sell your listings for you because they weren't listing agents. They're buyer's agents. The only way they're getting paid is by selling their house, your listings to their buyers. That's the reason you want to be a listing agent. You know, that's just the most core level, most drilled down information I can give you guys. If you want more help, obviously you need to become a premier coaching member because you need to know how to, you know, what to say to the sellers. You're going to need to get your pre-listing pack together. You're going to need to know how to, you know, help them price the house correctly. Some of you think you know how to do all of that, but you don't. Why would you risk uh, going on a listing appointment? Why would you risk not taking it? Why would you risk setting yourself up for so much continued failure? Premier coaching is absolutely what you guys should be considering doing. So just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. And effective, I believe, tomorrow, you're going to be able to go to that website and you're going to be able to make a decision as to whether or not you want to schedule a coaching call for tomorrow or the next day or if you want to have your coaching call immediately. So you make your decision. Freecoachingcallsforagents.com. When you do, we also give you six free books. All that information is there. Okay, Julie. <laughs> your <right>. ball. <laughs> so... A lot of you guys, because you have had your best summer ever, your best year ever, you've never had so many pending deals before, are running into, let's say, challenges that you may not have seen before. Some of you are on the buyer side on this. Some of you are on the seller side. It doesn't really matter. You need to adopt something that we lovingly call, and by the way, used many, many times in our own real estate practice. It's called the ultimate addendum. And we probably present this information maybe three or four times a year because you guys need it so much. Not taking this seriously is basically throwing caution to the wind on your pending transactions. So you might also uh, call this how to ensure against 11th hour closing drama. Now, this almost always happens in the underwriting part of the transaction. Now, some of you guys don't really know what underwriting is, so we've got to stop here for a second. Everybody gets geeked up. It's fantastic when you get something pending. You've got that offer finally accepted. Maybe you even went back a couple, back and forth a couple times. You've got a lender letter that says the buyer's good for it. Whether it's your buyer or whether you have that letter from somebody else's buyer on your listing, it's usually a pretty standard issue. This person is qualified to purchase uh, and shouldn't have any problem to close. Okay, and we figure we can take that to the bank. But what happens sometimes? You truck along through your inspections, you get through the appraisal, and it's three days before closing. Sometimes this happens three hours before closing, and the thing blows up. So what causes that? What if there was a way to get in front of those problems before it was too late? So what is underwriting? Underwriting happens at the 11th hour. This is you know, a bank term, a lending term. This is when they actually check everything. 
So you can get a letter of pre-approval, little known fact for many. My grizzled veterans know this though. So you can call, like I, I could call pretty much any lender today and say, you know what, I just fell in love with a house. I need to write an offer and the uh, listing agent is asking me for a lender's letter of approval. Can you pump one of those out for me? And the lender's probably going to ask a few questions about credit and ratios and, you know, tell me about your job and things like this. And that's a phone conversation that sometimes that's all that happens. I might not even end up using that lender, but that person sends me something in my email that I can use writing an offer that will get me in contract. Anything you want to add to this, Tim? Because this is fairly typical of what goes on out there. How deep in the weeds are you going to be as to what the lender's letter needs to say? Well, I, I'm going to get to that. Okay, so okay, well, um, but, well, this is the, what typically so, so happens, answer, right? And this is what right. they trust okay. is okay. But go ahead. But it's important. But it's important that they understand that lenders are trained to spend zero time mm -hmm. on the file until the buyer's in contract. In other words, until you guys have wasted all your nights and weekends, then the buyer mm -hmm. or uh, then the actual lender is going to spend time to then maybe find out and discover that indeed that person didn't have the ability to purchase the house after you wasted all of your time. And well, it's even worse than that, Tim. They'll wait until, sorry to interrupt you, but it's even worse than not doing it till you're in contract. They wait until you're through inspections and have paid for the appraisal and paid for the credit report. I mean, you could be right. 15 days into this thing before the lender does anything to actually get going on it. This is one of the reasons why it takes forever to close these days is because all this is drug out. So, yeah, uh, and you, yeah. you know, you can't really blame the lenders because why would they want to spend time on a file if it's going to die during inspections? You know, kind of makes sense from their perspective. Um, so then what happens? And I'm just going to rattle off a few of these things that can happen uh, that you, if you haven't come across this, you will in your career. Okay, so top 10 things that make you crazy when you thought you were about to have a closing. So this is the type of thing that, that happens to you guys, and I'm going to give you the solution either later in this podcast or tomorrow. So here's the type of stuff that happens in underwriting. Number one, buyer hasn't even actually applied for the loan yet, so no one knows a thing about them until you're halfway through the inspections. Usually that's an agent error because they haven't been keeping track of where the buyer is in the actual loan application. All right, problem number two, the buyer had great credit and ratios when they applied, but you find out three days prior to closing that they just bought a new boat, car, rental property, whatever, screwing up their credit and or their ratios. Number three, the buyer hasn't disclosed that they are actually contingent on home sale because they are presenting as contingent on financing. Now that's a pretty advanced thing that many of you are dealing with right now since most markets do not accept home sale contingencies with maybe a few exceptions, but if you're competing, it's not gonna fly. So what do people do? They make it contingent on financing, which is secretly contingent on home sale and nobody finds out until three days before closing. Issue number four, the buyer's down payment hasn't actually been verified. Is it coming from gift money, a divorce or insurance settlement, winning the lottery, unseasoned funds? Nobody checks on it until you're at least halfway through your pending time. Problem number five, buyer's lender has only done a preliminary or sometimes they call a soft credit check. And in underwriting, it turns out they have some credit issues to fix. That's where you get an addendum to extend for another 30 days that hopefully your seller is cool with. And, All right. And Number Julie, six. you are go ahead. You are, yeah. Julie, you are going yes. to explain what you just said further down. Which one about I'm asking you a uh, the soft credit Nobody check? Nobody knows yes, what a soft yes, yes. credit check is. 
You're, okay. Well, okay, okay. Sorry. So we'll, we can hover on that for a second. That's okay. So a soft credit check is basically just pulling one credit report, not pulling your whole credit history. So if the lender pulls something and it's basically acceptable, they don't go into the full credit check until you've paid for that. And then they do a try merge and you know, sometimes they'll sometimes lenders will use your low credit score to try and get a higher down payment out of you, get you to pay a higher interest rate, pay points. Well so all this kind of a stuff. A soft credit check is they they just they it's usually with um I forget which bureau it is, and they only pull for one bureau. And what Julie's what Julie said, just so you guys are clear, is that it's very common for not all three credit reporting agencies to have the same number. A, uh, you have to your ultimate credit score to be approved for the mortgage is dependent on what the actual tri merge is or what the combined credit score is from all three uh, credit reporting agencies. Now, what lenders will do is there's something called overlay. So, for example, your buyer goes to Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, you know, in order for them to qualify for the mortgage, let's say their credit only needed to be 650. That's the government standard. So what the Wells Fargo will do is they'll put what's called an overlay over it. So they'll add actual credit requirements. They might say, well, look, we know that we can, by the rules, write this mortgage for six, with a 650 credit score. So let's say your borrower uh, you know, went online and found out their credit was 675 and they think their right is rain. But Wells Fargo put an overlay on it that they have to actually have to have a 725 or whatever. I'm making all these numbers up, but you guys get the gist of it. So this is the reason that you need to force your you, – you need to assume your lender is going to do as little as possible for all your buyer leads prior to you wasting your time with them. Um, and the ultimate addendum is, is going, and Julie's going to read it to you here in a second, probably tomorrow, it, and we'll post yep. it on the website, timandjulieharris.com, is really the essence of it is you are assuming – that the agent who's either that this is mostly useful on the listing side, but this is also beneficial to you when working with buyers, because you can make the buyer's lender actually do their damn job. But when you have listings, but the purpose of this ultimate addendum is you. Let's say you get an offer, and and the offer is you know you have a house list for 850, you get an offer in for 850, everything sounds great, the sellers are happy, buyers are in contract. What we want you to do is accept the offer. But then as part of the acceptance, you have to say, this is the addendum to the contract. And in the addendum to the contract are all the things Julie's going to read to you. What we're trying to get you to do is understand that pretty much, and this isn't always true, and this is kind of mean, but it is just a, kind of an interesting thing to have in the back of your mind. Assuming that nobody else is really going to do their job completely, and everybody else is just trying to take shortcuts. I think you guys will agree that's probably universally true. Um, but you have to assume it's really true when you're dealing with co-ops and you're dealing with lenders. The co-ops nowadays and the lenders nowadays, most of them haven't been in the business that long. And so they don't know all the nuanced approaches to getting things done. So if you're a listing agent and you get an offer from a buyer, and you've had this happen before probably, where, you, you know, as Julie said, you go through, the, you know, go through the paces of things set to close and then something blows up. And everyone acts like, oh, my God, it was just a big surprise. It wasn't a big surprise because the, the way that the system works with these lenders is that they are not doing their actual job. So when we say a three-merge credit report, and Julie's going to hopefully remember not just to say terms like that and not explain them, um, you guys will then be able to say, okay, Mr. Lender, did you actually do a tri-merge or a three-merge on this, or are you just pulling from one of the bureaus? 
And you're going to hear him hem and haw, and you're going to hear them actually say, well, we only did a soft poll. Well, soft poll is what Julie just described, where it's only pulling from one bureau. Useless information. Um, she also mentioned something earlier. She said, you know, verification of assets to close, verification of employment history. Here's a little caveat about employment history in, in particular. Somebody can go from being a – let's just say they go from being a fireman making – I don't know what firemen make, but let's say $50,000 a year, and they decide, screw it, I'm going to become a school teacher, $50,000 a year, okay, making up the numbers. Now, you're, in your mind, and even in the lender's mind, you know, your loan officer friend who took you to play golf and maybe bought you lunch, that's fine. Hell, the guy makes fifty grand, but it turns out that – the lender that he might use is going to have an overlay, or maybe even um, even uh, the government, something, is going to say, well, you can't have changed actual industries for 24 months, even if you earn the same amount of money. You guys get it? There's all these little um, lots of that all these little traps, lots of that stuff. And so the ultimate addendum, the whole point of it is so that you can basically put it out there, forcing the other people to do their jobs. And uh, it, that makes it so that when you, as a listing agent especially, or you as someone who's working with buyers, when you decide to accept that contract from a listing agent's perspective or decide to work with that buyer from a buyer's agent's perspective, you're going to know that the person you're working with is real opposed to just being a time waster. So that is the point of this. That's what we're trying to help you guys do is become more yeah. professional so that you, as a seller's agent, you're protecting your sellers, and as a buyer's agent, you're protecting your time. Okay, so hopefully well, that's very you guys true. Clarity on that. And I appreciate what you're saying about the detail and the drill down. We're giving them these issues that can happen first, because not all of our listeners have ever experienced some of these things. To sure. make it very clear why the ultimate addendum can put an end to most of these problems and why it's so critical that you be this particular, right? So, for example, these lender overlays, you know, lenders don't have to disclose that to you. Most agents don't even know the term lender overlay. They're not going to, you know, Wells Fargo, we, we pick on them because they're, they're fairly conservative and they do a lot of this kind of thing. But most of the lenders have their own requirements that their risk management um, team has said, you know what, we understand that the standard issue loan with 20% down and maybe a 700 credit score should be acceptable, but just to be safe, we're not going to take anybody who has an unrelated job history, for example, or who doesn't have a seasoned down payment. They might have 20%, but if it hasn't been sitting in a bank account for more than 18 months, we're going to either make them put down more money, pay more points, or do something else, which you're not going to find out about until the 11th hour. So you're, some of you are thinking, well, why don't I just ask the lender what the skinny is? They don't have to tell you any of this. But they us no. it usually comes out right before closing. So it's pretty frustrating. Um, now, in another your, example. In, by, go ahead. Well, in your lender's letters, when you guys, you know, whenever you see a lender's letter, write these terms down and remember this, all right? This, this isn't in what Julie's about to present to you. Look for words that are, say, subject to verification of. Um, they have lots of little limey lender words that they use to try to basically obfuscate the fact that they haven't done a complete thorough check on that buyer. Um, the lender's letter should be one paragraph where it says, you know, Bill and Betty Smith are pre-approved to purchase 123 Elm Street for the purchase price of this with this much money down. 
Um, and then what you're asking the lender to do in writing is say they have completed the following steps. They have done a three-merge credit report, verification of assets to close, verification of employment, verification, whatever else is in the addendum. All those things have to be there. Whenever you see a subject to verification of or subject to, when you read your lender's letters, they are doing a little you know, slimy disclosure saying that, hey, guess what? Here's your lender's letter, but it turns out it's a piece of crap because here's all the reasons, here's all the things we haven't yet, yet done. And by the way, we'll probably discover when going through the paces that this buyer can't buy the house, that you just wasted half your summer helping them buy and find, find and buy, okay? There's how that actually works. This is the reason that so many of you are so frustrated because no one ever tells you how it actually works. Tactical and practical is what we're all about. Jules? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, we learned most of these lessons by going through it, as some of you have had to, yep. and that's what we're trying to save you from right now. So here's another great example. And, you know, some of this is pretty advanced stuff, that you find out that the buyer is so strapped for their down payment that going over appraised value like their contract calls for it that they got themselves into so they could win the offer will actually unravel mm -hmm. your deal. So a couple of flavors of this. One is when the buyer had to, quote, um, you know, guarantee the appraised uh, difference, right? So maybe they're in contract for 550, and that's because yeah, the listing price and all of the comps say 500, but in order for them to not get outbid by somebody else, they agreed to go to 550. Well, their lender letter says that they're putting 20% down. That's when they thought they were going to spend 500, and they don't actually have the difference. I've seen many examples of this in Premier Coaching, from people being surprised because that conversation was never had. Yeah, I'll do anything for that house. Well, will you come up with the difference in the money? <laughs> okay, and because that conversation never happened, the buyer doesn't actually have enough to close with. So that's one example. And then the buyer, and then, have, and then the buyer, then the buyer panics and they say, "Holy shit, I got to yep. come up with an extra ten or twenty grand," and um, mm -hmm. they have to go borrow it from somebody. Then the lender knows, well, you didn't have that money in any of your accounts a week ago. Where did the money come from? Why well, I borrowed it from somebody? Well, that can't be a loan. Well, no, it's not a loan. It was a gift. Well, now we need a, a gift letter, and then you, you open up another can. Right? Then you open up another can of whoop ass because the lender can actually say, "Nah, we don't think that's a gift we, because that's from your buddy. You know, it's for twenty grand. Mm -hmm. We think that's a loan. Now you don't qualify anymore, guys. This is how. Well, it really and then works. what happens, Tim? Then what happens? Because it's a $500,000 sale and both agents are making a nice fat commission, guess who gets to make up the difference to make it close? The agents do. Well, no, or well, not, with the down payments, not with down payments. Yeah, you can't get not down with payments. Not with a down payment, but to, to fix the no. appraised issue for the seller, though, the agent can right. eat some money to make the seller whole. Right. And Lower they will the always ask. And, yeah. Right. Lower the commission to raise the seller's net. Well, you know, what do you mean the house didn't appraise? All these types of things, guys, are resolved when you use this ultimate addendum form. Julie? Yeah. Gives me a headache just to talk about it, right? So um, the <laughs> next it. one, it, <laughs> it's awful. So, uh, but this also proves to them we have indeed walked in their shoes. Here's something that you um, touched on. The buyer's employment hasn't been verified at all when they wrote the offer, when they got themselves in contract. You find out then they're underemployed, unemployed, self-employed, or otherwise challenging to get approval and maybe too short of a job history. We talked about that. So number eight, they're not actually, this is my favorite, they're not actually a U.S. citizen or they have other documentation issues. We hear about this. You can't fix that overnight. Number nine, they are secretly FHA or VA, but wrote conventional so they could get themselves in contract. However, you find out they don't have a big enough down payment to actually close conventionally. So that's a big can okay, of Okay, hover there. And two more, and then... 
Hover there. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Hover there. Yep. Okay, why does that matter to you guys? Because FHA and VA, as you may or may not know, requires less down payment and has less restrictive mortgage tenants or uh, covenants. So you can get an easy, you get a loan easier, but they have far more restrictive uh, rules with regards to the appraisal of the house and the condition of the house. So you might get a, accept a uh, an offer from a buyer, and you might think it's a conventional offer from this buyer, but it turns out. Two weeks in, after you've run up all the potential contracts, after the sellers already half-packed their house, turns out that the, the, the buyer is actually BAFHA, and now the appraiser comes in. And the appraiser, long story short, he's gonna, if the house doesn't appraise, that appraisal sticks to the house whether that deal flakes out or not. So any That's future buyers are not going to be able to borrow more money on that house than what that appraiser said the house was worth, assuming they also tried to go government, okay? So that's something else you all need to remember when you're receiving these offers that it's very normal for agents and buyers, let's just be honest, mostly agents, to know that you won't accept a government loan. So what they're going to do instead is they're going to say it's a conventional and then switch it on you in two weeks. So you need to drill down on the lender uh, when you accept that offer or considering accepting it, and make them prove that it's not a VA or FHA if you care. The condition is the other thing. If you've got a house that's got anything that's dodgy about it, and pretty much every house that's older than 20 years is going to have something dodgy about it, oh, I'm sorry, Julie, but the back roof on the porch had three layers of shingles. We cannot approve that. It cannot be any more than two layers. Well, now the, the, now the seller has an unexpected bill for five grand. Who's that money going to come from? As Julie alluded to earlier, probably your commission check. This is how you screw up and lose lots of money. So pay attention to what we're saying. Julie, I don't think we have enough time for any more points today. No, we don't. So listen, guys, here's what I want you to do. We're in the weeds with you right now. We're in the thick of it. This is really the meat and potatoes of how you excel at a higher pace in real estate. When you have the addendum that we're going to share with you more tomorrow, Premier Coaching members, this is already waiting for you on the website, so just log in and download it. Um, and the addendum version that we're putting on the website is obviously going to be the condensed version, not what you guys get as Premier Coaching members, FYI. But when you have this information, what it allows you to do is it allows you to avoid future pain because someone was trying to sneak something by you or somebody was being lazy. That's the goal of this forum. This is something that's exclusive to Julie and I that is a living document. We originally discovered all these types of things, as Julie said, as a result of having been stung as listing agents and accepting crappy contracts. So we made this addendum, and every time something you know, new and slimy happened, we added it to our addendum. And now we've gotten it to the point where it's really drilled down and pretty much covers all the potential pitfalls you have um, as a listing agent, or like I said, when you're trying to vet your buyers. So listen to tomorrow's show. Pay attention and, you know, save yourself the future anguish. Remember, guys, your new year has already started. Go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.